Hello, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com, covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. In this episode, Equipment Today editor Becky Schultz talks with Norm Anderson, president and CEO of CGLA Infrastructure. Norm discusses how infrastructure investment could prove the key to turning the economy around from the coronavirus pandemic, and also the challenge in getting political support to move a major infrastructure package forward. Let's dig in with Becky and Norm now. Just to begin with, can Norm, can you give me a little bit of background on the CGLA infrastructure and who exactly it is and what its focus is and the types of services that your organization offers? Sure. So we, I actually started the firm 32 years ago, and it's, uh, we focus on uh, infrastructure projects, so individual infrastructure projects. We call it strategic infrastructure. And we originally focused, um, started to work in Latin America, um, and then we started to work globally. And then we finally, about 12 years ago, started to focus on the U.S. market. And our whole um, point is to bring all the different players together required to make infrastructure projects happen. And also, you know, what we see is the U.S. probably underinvests in infrastructure by about 50%. So figuring out how to um, change policies, uh, figuring out how to um, bring, as I said, all the different kinds of players together, but come up with a better way to think about the infrastructure market and and probably bring in a lot of long-term investment from pension funds and from insurance companies. Okay. Now, we are obviously in very strange, rather unprecedented times. And from your perspective, I'd love to get an idea of what you see as some of the greatest risks right now to the U.S. economy that that, that stems from the coronavirus pandemic, and in particular, how that relates to infrastructure. Sure. So, you know, I think the way to, I mean, it's a, it's a question of how to think about it. And at some level, it's almost a question of where you are in your thought process. I mean, I just got off the phone with somebody who said that most people are still in denial. You know, I mean, I mean, it's really hard to get your mind around what's happening. I was working out this morning early watching TV and, you know, one of the people on the TV said we're three months away from being able to go back to work. And, and somebody else was saying, you know, we'll be back to work in two weeks. So it's, it's really difficult, but we've never seen anything like this, obviously. I, I think that the more realistic you can be about where we are, the better you're going to be. I think this is about as serious a thing as we'll ever see in our lifetimes. I, I think the infrastructure, the GDP decline um, for the second quarter, it's going to be something like 25%. And I think we'll be, by the middle of the year, we'll be at something like 30% unemployment. I mean, I think that that's, I tend to think in terms of scenarios, but the, the way I come out is that you have to take this seriously and you have to understand the severity of the problem so that you can come up with a solution. And that's, that's where infrastructure comes in. Just to give you a couple of just quick data points, which are, I think, important. You know, most people have taken um, people off the job because they tend to work too closely together, but you could argue that people could still be working on infrastructure projects. I'm in Washington, D.C., as I mentioned, 
right next to the White House. And this place is full of people working on projects. Nobody's taking time off. Everybody else is not allowed to work except for construction workers. Um, but if you look at the New York MTA, they've had 41 coronavirus-related deaths. So unbelievably serious in terms of uh, transit. Another data point on the infrastructure side is that I was talking to a friend of mine earlier who said that, look, after the SARS um, epidemic, uh, it took the airlines two and a half years, two and a half years to get back to where they were in terms of traffic. So you've got a bunch of uh, really um, difficult issues. One of them is that infrastructure is really good at putting people to work. So you could argue that a proper infrastructure initiative where you start to plan that now, shovel ready initiative isn't what we're talking about. That's what happens when you don't plan. You right. want to start to plan now so you can put major projects that have been held up for years and years. You want to put those projects up and you want to get those projects up and running and really do a robust infrastructure initiative. That's that I see infrastructure's real role as bringing us back from the crisis as quickly as possible. But we don't want to add to the massive amount of debt we're uh, bequeathing to our children and grandchildren. Uh, the crisis has already put another $2 trillion, maybe as much as 4 to $6 trillion, gets us up to $30 trillion in terms of national debt. We don't want to do that. So any infrastructure initiative has to be really smart in terms of the building blocks for our next economy, and, and it has to be sustainable. That's why we think it has to be even larger than President Trump calls for. He calls for a $2 trillion initiative. We actually think it needs to be about $300 billion dollars for 10 years. So that would be $3 trillion. Half of that would come from the public sector, so debt, increased taxes, but a half of that could easily come from the private sector, from, as I mentioned earlier, insurance. We have $27 trillion in insurance and, and um, pension fund money in the US, and that's money that easily could go into infrastructure investment, because all it is is looking for a steady return, long-term home, and that's what infrastructure is. Sure, sure, absolutely. So what form do you see, what types of projects do you think that really would lend themselves to helping to jumpstart the economy again? So I think you have, to, you have to look at this in terms of levels, right? So we have, you know, one of the things that we've suggested to the administration is that, that you get the top two or three projects from every governor in the U.S., right? Because everybody has priority projects that are stopped because they didn't get funding. The, these need to be projects that if you, if you can put a two-by-two two box in your mind, these need to be projects that create enormous social benefits and enormous economic benefits and are ready to go right now. They have permitting, they have sort of last-inch permitting issues uh, last inch regulatory issues. Get those projects up and running. Every governor has two or three of those. Sure. Then we have a series of projects, and, and we've actually shared these with the administration, more than 50 that require no public funding that are 100% private. Those projects simply need to be authorized as quickly as possible. So that's a second level. Then right. there's a third okay. level of projects, really important projects, which are national security projects or national strategic projects, so projects that cross state lines, like 
renovating our electricity transmission system. I mean, think about if you if we're going through this crisis without electricity, what would that be like? That oh, would I be can't imagine. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you don't Absolutely. want to imagine, right? No. That would be the end of the world. So we've got those kinds of projects. The tunnel between New York and New Jersey that's 100 years old and it was um, damaged uh, irreversibly in Hurricane Sandy. Number of projects like that. And then we have so the, so the, so the layers of projects and it's easy to get up to $300 billion in projects that we could do before the end of the year getting those projects up and running. Another whole series of projects are projects that have just stopped because people who are working on the projects are unsure about their permitting uh, because sure. the, um, the local bureaucracy has stopped. Let those projects go. Let them apply for a virtual permit. Tell those people that they whatever they do, as long as they do proper work, nobody's going to go back after them later on. Because you're going to have to get people back working as quickly as possible. Every billion dollars invested in infrastructure, according to our calculation, yields about 1,200 direct jobs and maybe another 3,000 indirect jobs. So let's say 4,000 jobs. So if we were to do $300 billion times four is a million two in terms of new, uh, new jobs. Uh, that would get us moving in the, in the right direction in terms of uh, bringing the country back as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that does jump to my mind, and granted, we are facing a very different situation, but um, I, there has always been a challenge in the construction sector in getting the workforce to come to them. Do you think that given the circumstances and with so much unemployment that we can get past that? So I, I think that's a fantastic question. And, you know, the workforce is skilled workers, unskilled workers, um, you know, who are we talking about specifically? But I think one of the biggest issues has been that we don't have as robust an industry as we used to have. For instance, just to give you an indication, we, we used to invest about 3% of GDP in infrastructure, and uh -huh. about 80% of that was new, and 20% of that was operations and maintenance. Now it's we invest about 1.3% uh, in infrastructure, in terms of new infrastructure, so a much a much smaller amount. Okay. I think what you've got to do is you've got to create a healthy market where people have a sense that they're going to have jobs and they're going to have jobs all over the country, and it's going to be robust. And it's also going to be a lot, let's say, quicker in terms of the process. For instance, now it takes nine and a half years on average to get a highway permitted. There are only two runways that are. Um, under construction in the United States and the entire continental United States. So we've really hamstrung an entire industry and it, it makes it a place where it's tough to want, it's tough to look at that as a place where you're guaranteed a long-term uh, healthy career. We need to change that. Uh, infrastructure creates all of our public goods, all of, all of our public goods, <laughs> everything Absolutely. that makes us productive. And so we've got to figure out a way to make that into um, the, the area in which people want to work and, and, a, and an exciting area. Sure, definitely. And it, from what I understand, especially based on a survey that you conducted recently, it sounds like the appetite for infrastructure investment is there. I think, I think the appetite, you would not believe all the calls I get 
And I get calls from, you know, everybody, from people in the middle of the country, from state DOTs, uh, get calls from all the union guys. I get calls from all the pension fund guys. I get calls from the politicians. I get calls from normal people. Everybody wants us to invest in infrastructure. So, you know, the issue is why don't we invest in infrastructure? And there's, there's probably two or three really good reasons. But, you know, one of the things that I think um, is that we, we, we must be thinking about the problem wrong. <laughs> because okay. if everybody thinks you need to do something and you're not doing it, clearly you're thinking about the problem wrong. So there's a problem on the leadership side. But I think what, what's really happening is that the industry isn't doing itself any favors by not coming together and talking about and highlighting and communicating the incredible benefits that are created by infrastructure. It has a communications issue. We've got okay. a new survey in the field, and you know, one of the questions is, is infrastructure a strong, average, or weak brand? And none of the respondents so far have said it's a strong brand. That's ridiculous, given all the value that the industry creates, right? Sure. Yeah, that's a huge problem that the industry does not have the, a strong perception. That's right. And, and the other I issue is that, you know, conceptually it's weak because I guarantee you, if you and I walked up to Capitol Hill and we talked to 100 congressmen, I guarantee you everybody would have a different definition of infrastructure. Some would put electricity in, some wouldn't. Some would put oil and gas in, some wouldn't. Most wouldn't put water and wastewater in. You have to put that in. I think you need to put social infrastructure, so hospitals, clinics, schools. All that to me is infrastructure. And then okay. all the stuff that ties it together on the logistics side. All that is infrastructure, and nobody's. we're not even having that conversation. What do we have? Right. We, you know, at CGLA, we call it strategic infrastructure because every project is strategic because you do a good project, it generates confidence, trust. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. I think that there's definitely some real challenges there in helping to people to understand what really infrastructure entails in its entirety. But I think there's also um, some challenges there in terms of, of just education. Um, I th I'm not sure it's an education issue. I think it's a, I mean, you know, this is splitting hairs, but I think it's a communications issue. Okay. What we're not doing is measuring the benefits and then communicating those benefits to people. I'll give you an example. At Colorado DOT asked us a couple of years ago, if we could help them because one of the private concessionaires was every quarter talking about how much money they were making for the Australian pension fund holders who owned the uh, highway between uh, Boulder and Denver. And, okay. you know, we said, well, wouldn't it be interesting for you guys to have um, a, a, a benefits index so that every quarter you could say, these were the number of jobs created, these were the number of businesses created. This was the tax revenue that increased. This is the, um, let me see, what's the other one? The, the uh, benefits, jobs, oh, and the mobility piece of it. This is how much quicker you're getting from point A to point B. Those are the, those, there's no, I have no way to even understand how an industry 
could um, continue to try to move forward without ever communicating to people its benefits as an industry, right? I mean, you can see the freight rail guys every once in a while, they'll communicate and the electricity people, but nobody communicates as an industry. And that's, that's where you get, um, that's where you don't win in Washington. If you don't come with a unified message for the industry, that's what you have to do because the, okay. the, the threats to the industry are all the same. It's public funding, it's private involvement, it's regulatory, um, and those are the things that you have to come together and say, look, do we want to have a productive country or not? The other point that's really interesting is because of what's happened with the coronavirus in China, we're going to have to, we're gonna have to um, reinforce our supply chain here for everything, uh, including medical equipment, PPP, et cetera, but also for everything else because you can't be, be reliant on one country for all the stuff that makes you successful and powerful. Um, that's going to create a huge amount of additional um, opportunity for the infrastructure industry. But the, in, in, the industry needs to start speaking as an industry, not as uh, a balkanized set of um, uh, businesses. Right. Yeah. And I think that is the big challenge there is trying to figure out how to get those voices to come together. That's exactly right. Yeah. So looking at the overall political climate that we're in, I know that it has changed as a result of the pandemic and, and the, the impact. But do you less, see less than less than you would think? Okay. Well, and that is my concern. <laughs> That's my concern here. You know, we've heard a lot of talk about support for an, a larger infrastructure package, um, bipartisan support. But we've been hearing that pretty much since President Trump was elected. Do you think that this is going to push us to the point where that actually can happen? So two points. Um, one is that until I hear people talking about specific projects and who's going to be, how the, pro, how the process is going to be led. I don't believe that it's anything more than what we've been talking about, not since the beginning of the Trump administration, since the beginning of the Clinton administration. Sure. That's how long this has been going yeah. on for. Um, Very true. And, you know, and, and if you look at what we've done in this country, we have spent the last 40 years spending, consuming, not investing, right? That's right. the characteristic of th this particular generation. So we've, we've, we've invested as little as we possibly could in education. We've invested as little as we possibly could in healthcare. We've invested as little as we possibly could in infrastructure. And our national debt's been going through the roof. So we're kind of like, you know, the no good son with a credit card who just keeps spending money um, hoping things will somehow get better. That's a big problem. That's a generational problem. And we need, I think now we have to address that. So, you know, that's a, that's kind of a mean way of, of describing us, but I think that's a fact. Um, right. So we need to face that fact. And then, so, so when you say bipartisan, my problem with bipartisan is, um, and again, I'm right next to the white house. We have to raise this conversation up. So what is this country, country going to look like for our children and our grandchildren 
And how do we hand the baton off in a, in a way that we can be proud of? That's that, so it's a different level of conversation. I, I really don't think it's, there's any, I think there's no chance of bipartisanship happening without a different level of leadership happening around this issue. And it's really leadership that's going to talk about the, what the next generation gets from us and how we're going to produce that and how we're going to transform this economy from a, 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 a crazy consumption economy, right? Like the idea that the only way the world economy functions is if Americans buy all sorts of crazy things that aren't going to last very long. You know, we kind of have to transform that to an investment economy where we're investing in long-term health care, we're investing in education, we're investing in uh, infrastructure, we're, we're making, we're transforming the economy from one where we consume to one where we actually produce and we're much more disciplined about it. You know, I think that that's unbelievably important and that's, that's the only way that bipartisanship would happen where if it stops being what do, what do I get in exchange for what do you get to what do we get and what do our children and grandchildren get? That's the conversation that's not happening right now. Sure, sure. I, and I think that that is a very good goal to strive towards, but in the short term, I don't necessarily see us getting there. So are you thinking that we may not see an in infrastructure package coming out in 2020 at this point? I think unless something changes, uh, it's going to be tough. What, what we okay. should be able to see, let's make a distinction, right? There, okay. there has to be in the, in the upcoming stimulus, let's say stimulus four or maybe stimulus five, there has to be a very robust infrastructure piece because that's what's going to put people back to work as quickly as possible. And it also creates, it should create a foundation for growth going forward. So that I see happening, but I don't see a large bipartisan infrastructure bill happen. Okay. So what no one, no one, the Democrats are not going to want to give President Trump two trillion dollars to build infrastructure in an election year. Yeah, and, and that is a very fair statement. I think that that is <laughs> the challenge right there. <laughs> I think that that is very fair. So, where do you? What do you see? as the next step that um, the industry needs to take in order to try to position us to a point where we could get to that big package? Well, I think, you know, you and I have been talking about that a lot. I think the industry needs to come together around a different way of dealing with Washington. Sure. Different way of looking at Washington. It's got to be a lot more inclusive and it's got to focus on the long-term success of the country rather than, the short-term success of, you know, the transit sector versus the highway sector versus airports versus electricity. Okay. We've got to bring everybody together and we've got to build it. We've got to create a bigger pie. I think the way you do that is um, you maintain your level of public investment, but you double the level of overall investment by bringing private investment into the conversation. And I think, I think, you know, following the, the narrative of this discussion, if we were to bring in our pension funds, public and private, that's interesting, right? Because that all of a yeah. sudden brings all of the citizens into the conversation. Sure. This is our future and this is our investment and we're going to pay attention. And by the way, we want to optimize 
both um, in terms of the amount we're able to invest and the benefits we get from that investment. That would be transformative. That would change the conversation. It really change the calculus on Capitol Hill in terms of what infrastructure is and how important it is for people. Absolutely. I, I think all that you've told me is fascinating. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us that um, might help us to move in the right direction? Uh, well, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll work with you on that. We actually have an initiative. It's called Blueprint 2025. And okay. it's focused on that, bringing public and private leaders together from the technology, engineering, investment, and public policy, public ownership community together to push for a unified infrastructure initiative. And on top of that, we have a steering committee called the National Infrastructure Performance Council that's headed by Hank Greenberg and General Petraeus. And we're really focused on uh, doing exactly the kinds of things that we've been talking about. Looking at infrastructure is, is the thing that builds long-term value for the country and, and putting the country first. And you know, if we do that, then our, our individual businesses are gonna benefit tremendously. If you double the size of the infrastructure market, you can't help but increase the success of your business. Whereas if we continue to putter along at the same level, all it is is beggaring thy neighbor and that's not any good at all, it makes no sense. It's not what the U.S., not what built the U.S. It's not what the U.S. is all about. Absolutely. So, Norm, just to kind of close off, how can people find out more information about your initiatives? Well, I think the easiest thing is to just send me an email. You can go to our webpage, but my email address is norman at cg-la.com. And our webpage is www.cg-la.com. Excellent. Well, Norm, I really appreciate you taking some time to talk with me. I, I think that this is all very inspiring and it's insightful about what really needs to happen in order to get this in, a, a larger infrastructure package moving and how that can really make a difference in yeah, our Thank you. Thanks for all the work you do as well. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today. I want to thank Norm Anderson of CGLA Infrastructure for taking the time to talk with us. Tune in every Monday for another episode of the Digging Deeper podcast by 4constructionpros.com. You keep listening, we'll keep digging. Until next time.